Lord has given me something good, just a thought, especially in the time that we are living in right now. So Titus chapter 2 is where we're going to be looking, and I'll begin reading here in just a moment, verse number 11. But the thought that I've come to share with you tonight and just uh, present to you tonight is this thought, thriving in a Cretan culture. Thriving in a Cretan culture. And you might say, what in the world is that? Well, uh, when you understand where the book of Titus, uh, what it is written for, what Paul was writing to Titus about, it'll become a little bit more clear. And uh, Titus was left, uh, two companions of Paul that he writes to uh, in this New Testament that we have, uh, right there together, is Timothy and Titus. And uh, uh, Timothy had his parents were a mixture of Jew and Gentile. Titus was all of a complete Gentile background. Timothy and Titus are also, as well as uh, some others, are known as as pastoral epistles. And uh, talking really to pastors because Timothy and Titus were each pastors of their respective areas. Timothy would be left at Ephesus to pastor there while Titus would be placed at Crete and he would be the pastor there. And uh, Timothy and Titus were very different in their natures. Uh, Timothy was more timid. He was more quiet. In fact, uh, apparently maybe he was a little more nervous like because Paul would tell him, you know, Timothy, when you're all upset and in knots in your stomach, he would say, you know, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. That's the scripture that he would write to Timothy there. Titus, uh, on the other hand, was the opposite of Timothy. Uh, Titus was not timid whatsoever. Titus was much more bold, uh, was much more apt to probably Uh, say something that would get him in trouble rather than something that was quite as thoughtful and uh, and so they were placed purposefully and and perfectly within their range and scope of ministry and and Paul's letters to them reflect some of that and and so Paul writes to Titus and we can learn a lot from this so just bear with me as I set this up Paul writes to Titus and he's giving him instruction. He's talking to him about how important it is to set up the church properly there so that it can function and it can thrive. And then he talks to him about what he really needs to be teaching people so that they can thrive in the world that they are living in. And, and one of the scriptures that, that in uh, Titus chapter 1 and, and verse number 12 jumps out, is Titus 1 and 12, Paul writes, and he says, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, and then he quotes this prophet, one of Crete's own prophets, a poet and prophet of that day, and, and here's what he said. He said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now, you know, that, that doesn't sound real real favorable of a group of people. The man's name that wrote that was Epimenides, and he was a Crete of his own, and he was a poet, and he was considered a prophet, and he would say that. And he basically says all Cretans were liars, okay? And and so then Paul goes on, and in verse number 13 of Titus chapter 1, Paul says, this testimony is true. 
And he says, therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about this. And, and I've titled this tonight, Thriving in a Cretan Culture on Purpose. Because I believe that we can see some similarities in the culture that Titus was pastoring in and in the culture that we are living today. In fact, it, it really was, as, as you see as I read those scriptures to you, it really was a time of hyperbole. How many know what hyperbole is? Hyperbole is that exaggerated speech, that excess speech. So, in essence, when uh, Epimenides will, will say, Epimenides, and if I get his name right, will say that all Cretans are liars. Well, obviously, not all Cretans were liars, but it was something that the, the community would be known for because of their wickedness and because of their vileness and, and some of those things. But it was a statement of a hyperbole. It was a statement of excess. It was an overstatement as compared to an understatement. And how many of you understand that we are living in a culture right now, right here in the United States of America, that is a culture of excessive Hyperbole. I mean, it, you know, we, we lump people all into one group. If, if people are a certain thing, we, we, our culture says, well, all of them are that way. And we are very much a culture of hyperbole. And not only that, we are very much a culture of, of wickedness. A, a culture that has kind of gone off the rails. A culture that is known for our brutality. A culture that is known for our, our oftentimes our boorish behavior. And, and it is really beginning to play out, especially in this political season that we are in. We, we are seeing that on political issues, you are either all one thing or you are all another thing. Or if you don't agree with this group, then you automatically are labeled this. Or if you don't agree with that group, you automatically are labeled this. And, and this is the day that we as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are called to minister in. And it's much like Titus on the Isle of Crete. It's much like this, this setting that he would find himself in. That, that we are, are in a place that is difficult. How many of you that are right here on campus would agree with me? We are living in a culture right now where, where being a Christian is not the easiest thing. Would you agree with that? We, uh, we, we are lumped into some things that we really shouldn't be lumped into. And, and, and it's not easy. The culture itself in many ways is against most of the things that we believe and stand for as Bible-believing Christians. Um, we, we live in a culture that is a difficult culture. But it doesn't mean we are to check out. It doesn't mean we are to hide. In fact, we live in a culture that tries to tell us that we need to keep our Christianity uh, under wraps. 
that it really doesn't need to be in the public square. That we need to, it's fine if we're religious as long as we're religious in our homes. But don't bring that into our public squares or into the places where people are. And if you do, then get ready because you're going to be shouted down and you're going to be uh, reviled and, and all of these. We are living in this kind of culture right now. And, and Titus had to understand how to minister in that culture in his time and I believe we can learn some things as to how to minister in our culture, how to live and how to thrive in what I'm going to term a Cretan culture. Amen. Where it seems like lying is just natural. In fact, so much so that we will even say of our politicians, well, you know that they're, it's political season so they're just going to say whatever they have to say, whether they mean it or not. You know what we're saying? We are saying when we say that, it's okay if they lie to us. I mean, you know, that's not, a, that's not right. We, we should never settle for that. Our society is that way. In fact, if it helps you get ahead in something, it's okay if you don't tell the truth. We live in this kind of culture that the... the the writer there, Epimenides, said of his own people, he said they are liars, they are evil beasts, they are lazy gluttons. Now, now think of that. That's, that's a pretty rough statement. That means they don't want to get out and labor, but they want to just consume everything for themselves because that's what gluttony is. They will gorge themselves, but they don't want to work to better anything. They, they are like evil beasts because they don't want to live under a certain rule and under a certain law. They want to live by whatever they decide is right and what they want to do. Now, I, I just got to tell you, that to me describes aspects of the culture that we are living in. And so we're going to learn tonight. I'm just going to give you a few things that that I believe we can pull out of this setting and we can learn how to thrive even in this moment. So Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11. I'm going to read verse number 11 through verse number 15. And then I'm going to pull out for you uh, just uh, uh, quickly about four things that I believe are important for us to remember. Okay, verse number 11, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God... That brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Notice what he says. In the present age. Make note of that. I'm going to come back to that. Make note of that in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope. And glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Now, so I don't forget this uh, because I don't have it written down. There, there are a group of people that will try to say that Paul 
oftentimes is at odds with James when it comes to the Word because James talks about uh, that faith without works is dead and Paul talks about that it's only by faith and not by works. But right here that blows that out of the water because Paul does not say that there are no works that we should be involved in. It, he, he recognizes that there are works and, and says we are his own special people zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. So let's see what we learn for the next just couple minutes. I just want to, uh, this is probably more of a devotion than a full-out lesson tonight. Um, but I think it's an important devotion as we move forward over the next few weeks that we remember. How can we as believers thrive in the culture we are living in today. What are important aspects that we need to remember? And that's, that's what I'm going to share with you. Let's look at verse 11 and 12. And let's start this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age. First thing that we need to remember in a culture that seems to be a Cretan culture or a culture that has kind of gone off of the rails, a culture of hyperbole, a culture of, of excess in the way we communicate, is we must remember to remain grounded in grace. That we are always to be grounded in grace. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God has appeared to all men. That means it's accessible for anyone. Even in this culture that we are living in today, the grace of God is accessible. If we will accept Christ... If we will accept, because it says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Well, what is that? That's Jesus Christ. He is the grace of God that has brought salvation to all men. The Word of God has appeared in John chapter 1. He says, and the Word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And on down verse 14 and 15, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It was Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of the Word of God. He is the fullness of the grace of God. And so we need to understand that in our world, the church must always remain grounded in grace. We, that's, that's vital for us to understand. And, and, and if we ever forget that, we, we lose the aspect of us that sets us apart. We, we are no different than the remainder of our world if we walk away from being grounded in the grace of God. Because it is only by the grace of God through Jesus Christ that we are saved. Ephesians 2 and 8 teaches us that. That's the only way. It's grace and faith. It's the only way to salvation. And we need to understand that and we need to remain grounded there. And when we understand that we remain grounded in grace, then we learn something. 
So, so just bear with me a little bit tonight, if you will, here, as I, I, I want to just talk with you about this. When you understand that you must stay grounded in grace, then, then that grace and Christ Jesus himself will begin to lead us and teach us. Look at what he says in verse 12. That the grace of God that brought salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. If we stay grounded in that grace of God, we learn something. He teaches us. What does he teach us? Teach us. He teaches us that denying ungodliness. So first of all, the grace of God teaches us to deny something. How many know that part of being a believer means that we need to deny something? He says it teaches you. The grace of God teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. There are things that we are to deny. The biggest thing that we must deny as a believer living in our world is our own flesh, ourselves, our, our own nature, that fallen nature. We must deny our flesh. Grace teaches us to deny our flesh because your, and your flesh and mine are rooted in this world. They are root, it is rooted in a fallen nature. And in it, from it is the reason we live in a culture that has gone crazy. And so we must do what we can. By the grace of God, we must understand and be taught to deny that. How many know your flesh is going to have an appetite that is not pleasing to God? That means it's going to... Your flesh is going to desire things that are not according to the Word of God. And we must allow grace, the grace of God through Christ Jesus, to teach us to deny those things. All Anything that's ungodly, anything that is full of worldly lust, the Bible says that if we are living in grace and people of grace, we are going to be taught to deny that. So really, you can boil a lot of things down here. You know, we, we, we argue and fuss about all sorts of things, if this is right or this is wrong. Well, let, let's just let grace teach us. If it's ungodly, that means if it does not please God. If it involves worldly lust, so that means it's not based on the love of God. It's not based on loving God, loving others as we love ourselves, but it's based on a worldly lust. So it's based on a get-ahead plan in this world. It's based on, on not caring about other people. Then we are to deny that. Grace will teach you that. Amen. Sadly, I believe we haven't had enough Tituses to tell us the truth in the church world. I believe we, we have almost made it okay. We have almost taken this concept. Well, you know, we're going to be weak, and so it's okay to be weak. Well, no, if we allow grace to teach us and we allow Christ to teach us, we will learn to deny things that are not godly, to deny things that are full of worldly lusts. And so you don't need, you don't need your pastor to tell you that. Ask yourself that. Is what I'm involved in, is what I'm desiring ungodly? Does it promote God or does it promote anti-God uh, sentiments? Is it something God promoted or is it something this world's promoted? If, if, it's, if it's not godly, deny it. 
if it is based on worldly lust, deny it. How many think that's pretty plain? Grace teaches us that. That's why we have to remain grounded in grace. But grace doesn't only teach us to deny. Look what else grace teaches us. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, verse 12, and that we should live. Circle that word. If you take notes in your Bible, circle that word live. Grace teaches us to live. But we live soberly, righteously, and godly. So grace will teach us what we need to deny. And grace that brings salvation, that's the word of God through Christ Jesus. The grace of God teaches us what to deny. And it teaches us how to live. Amen. See, sometimes we forget that. We want, maybe we'll only focus on the things to deny. But the grace of God through Christ Jesus teaches us how to really live. Let me tell you who knows how to live in this world. Believers. We know how to live and because we have been taught by the grace of God. And the way we live is to live, first of all, soberly. That word sober, that word soberly there is from the, the root words sozo, which is to save, and friend, which is the mind. And the word is an adverb signifying acting in a responsible manner, sensibly, prudently, in self-control, and in full possession of intellectual and emotional faculties. Amen. The grace of God will teach you, if you will focus and stay grounded in the grace of God, it will teach you how to live soberly. Can I tell you, I know a lot of Christians that need to learn how to live soberly. Amen. We need to live in that full possession of our intellectual and emotional faculties. And living in the grace of God. Being grounded in what Jesus Christ accomplished at Calvary. Letting our faith rest in Christ and Christ alone. The grace of God will begin to teach us how to live soberly. So that becomes our filter. Our filter is a filter of grace that, that filters through sober living. Where we are in control of our life. If we are out of control in our life, then, then we need to ground ourselves in the grace of God. Amen. And we are to live righteously. The word righteous, that, that literally means in right standing with God. And there's only one way to live in right standing with God, and that is as Christ as your Savior. For Christ to live through you. For He to have paid the price uh, for your sin and for you to be living in Him. And then you can stand boldly before the throne of God. In the throne of grace because Christ is your intercessor. So you can live righteously. You can live right in Him. God wants you to live soberly. He wants you to live in charge, in control, according to the Word. He doesn't want you to live just out here all in chaos and craziness out here he wants you to live grounded in grace he first of all wants you to live and then he wants you to live in control of your faculties emotionally and intellectually that's why it's important that we not give ourselves to to uh, things that take us out of our mind mind altering substances that's why the word tells you to not be drunk 
That's why we are not to give ourselves to the things of this world that take us out of our mind because then we can't live soberly. And how many of you know just in the natural world, if you are not sober, you do stupid things? Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. Now, you're only amening all those other people that have done that because I know for all of you, it's been so long since you would ever even been around anybody that had. But when you're not sober, you do stupid things. Amen. It's usually not the sober people that you see on all the videos that go viral everywhere. Doing the stupid things. That's why we need to be sober minded. We need to be grounded in grace that we could live soberly, righteously, and godly. We are representatives of our Father of the kingdom of God, representatives of Christ in our world, and we need to live our lives as such. Amen. That's truly living. That's living free. We're not bound by these things. We are free, and it's only when we are grounded in grace. And then the last thing he says there in verse number 12 is he says, and godly in the present age. Amen. Now, what is our present age? Anybody? Right now. God expects us to remain grounded in grace, live soberly, righteously, and godly right now. For for us, this is our present age. For Titus and the people of Crete, that was their present age. And, and God was giving them instruction on how they were to live in their day. But He also expects us to live this way today. Just because our world is tough does not mean that we are not called to live this way. If we're grounded in grace. This is the way we will live. Amen. So let's, let's stay grounded in grace. The second thing that I want to look at is in verse 13. Because then these are things to remember in a Cretan culture or in a world that is a, a world of hyperbole, a world of excess, a world of, of craziness. We must remember, the second, first thing is to be grounded in grace. The second thing, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So the second thing we must always remember is to live kingdom-minded in our outlook. That means we are to be kingdom-minded in our expectation, in what we are watching for, in what we are looking for. We are to be kingdom-minded. God's kingdom. The kingdom of God. We are to look for the appearing of Jesus Christ. We are to look for the second coming of our Lord. We are to be expecting God's end time plan to be revealed. We, we must remember this if we are going to stay properly engaged in our present age. If we are going to live right in this world, that's the second thing that we have to remember. And in our world today, you hardly hear very much talk about it. Even in many churches, you don't hear much talk about it. But we are to be kingdom minded people. For the Lord is coming. We are to be looking up, for our redemption draws nigh. We're not to be so worldly-minded that we get thrown off so off course so easily. We get so worried about what's coming in our culture or in our world that we forget Jesus is coming. Lift up your eyes and look a little higher. Look under the hills from where comes yours and my salvation. 
it's time that we keep a kingdom-minded outlook. That we live our life soberly, righteously, and godly, grounded in grace. And we keep a kingdom-minded outlook at all times. Amen. And that, that, if we would keep that mindset, then we, we are always going to be people of hope. A kingdom-minded outlook always keeps you hopeful. How many of you realize if the only thing we have is this world, there is very much to be hopeful about? Amen? If the only thing you're hoping for is an outcome of an election, you don't have very much to be hopeful about. In fact, you've got a whole lot more to be upset about than you do to be hopeful about. But this world is not our home. We're just passing through here. Our heavenly home keeps us hoping. We are always looking for more. So that's how we stay rooted and we thrive in this world that we are living in. The third thing's in verse 14. It says, Who gave himself for us, Christ, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So now I'm going to tell you the third thing. Ready? Be steadfast in good works. Our good works are not in order that we can be saved. Our works for the kingdom are because we've been saved. Amen. We don't work for our salvation. Christ already paid the price for that. We work for God because we've been saved. Amen. Our good works. We need to be zealous for good works. So we need to understand this. We have been redeemed from a lost and dying world that we could be purified for the works God has planned for us. Do you know you and I need to always remember God has something for us to accomplish while we're living on this world? What is it that God's asked you to accomplish? What is your assignment? If we will spend more time searching for our assignment, than, than worrying about what everybody else is not doing. We will thrive in whatever culture we find ourselves in. God has given you an assignment. He wants you to operate out of the good works that He's given for you to accomplish. He wants you to be a witness, a testimony. He wants you to be a light in a darkened world. He wants you to be an example of what a believer can look like. You might say, well, I don't, I don't really, I can't influence that many people. But if you'll live your life the way God has called you to live it, and you will be all that you can be for Him, you will show the world an example of what a believer can look like. Amen. And you will love people. And you will do good for others. And you will help people. And you will be the kind of person that people would say, we need to be more like them. Amen. We need to be zealous, steadfast in the works God has prepared for us. And then the final thing that I'll say to you tonight, and then we're going to close. Verse 15. Speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. And let no one despise you. The fourth thing that we have to do to thrive in a Cretan culture or a culture that's gone, gone uh, the wrong direction is we must speak the truth. 
And we must not accept the despising tones of our world. How many know the world will despise you? But we are not to accept that. We are not to allow the despising words into our hearts. The despising looks. We are not to allow them to affect us. We are to continue to speak the truth. We speak the truth in love. But we are to continue to speak. And we are not to allow ourselves to operate from a place of being despised. If you live your life from a place of being of accepting the despise of the world, you will live your life defensive. And we are not called to be defensive. We are called to be on the offense. Now, we're not to offend people, but we are to attack the enemy at every turn. And when you feel rejected, or you feel people have turned away from you, or you feel the despise and that rejection from people, you are not to take it to heart. You keep living and speaking the truth. Amen. So in our culture, and I've said all this for a reason, and I'm going to wrap it all up, and then we're going to pray. In the culture we're living in today, in our present age, if we're going to thrive, we need to remember these four things. And here's what I want to encourage you. Over the next few weeks, we must steadfastly apply these things. I'm not... Speaking this prophetically to you, saying I've got a word from God, but everything in me is saying that over the next few weeks, in this culture that has gone off the rails, with the election that's coming up, I believe we are going to see some very difficult times. And how the church responds will have a big part to play in the influence we have moving forward. And so I've come tonight to encourage you. No matter how, which way the election goes or any of that. We must keep our focus on these four things. We are grounded in grace. And therefore our life is determined by the grace of God. We must be kingdom minded in our outlook. We must remain steadfast in the works God has ordained us to do. And we must speak the truth and not allow rejection or the despising looks to silence us. Amen. I, I firmly believe with everything in me that the church needs to apply these over these next few weeks and possibly months more than possibly ever before in our lifetimes. Because I believe, and this is not to bring fear, it's just a word of warning. I believe that there are going to be a lot of heated moments ahead of us. How many of you are on social media? Raise your hand. Those of you that are on social media, you need to remember these four things. 
How many of you talk to people outside of your home periodically? <laughs> okay, that should have picked up the rest of you. You need to remember these four things. A- amen? How many of you just sit at home and have conversations with yourselves? Okay, there's some more of you. That should get everybody. You need to remember these four things. Amen. I'm, I'm telling you, this is vital. We are living in a Cretan culture. A culture full of hyperbole. Where Cretes of their own selves would say, they are all liars. <laughs> right? They are evil beasts. That, that, that's, that's tough. And it wasn't, wasn't an accurate statement, but the overarching mindset, it was accurate. And in our world today, we are in tough times. Let's just be honest. We're in difficult moments. The United States of America, we are in difficult moments. Struggle moments for faith, for liberty, for rights, for what we believe. And more important than anything else is that we need to continue to present the gospel to our world in the way God desires us to present it. Amen. And so the Lord laid that just little message in my heart to encourage us. And maybe to prepare us. And we need to pray that everything's going to go off without a hitch and Whatever, one way or the other, the will of this country is going to be known and we're going to move forward and people will unify and move together. But it's going to take a miracle of God to see that. We need to pray for revival and we need to pray that believers everywhere would rise up and remember these things and be a light in the midst of a dark world. Amen.